Today we are, we remind, I remind you as we go to really the end of Romans now, we have just a few weeks left. We've been in Romans for a year and three months or so. Um, in some ways, Paul is ending with a very long epilogue or a very long um, goodbye uh, in this letter, which is full of deep doctrine and theology. Well, I remind you too that all of scriptures God breathed and these final uh, few passages we are not going to rush through, but we're going to spend some time in because they are as applicable to us as is talking about justification by faith alone. It is all scripture. And to those who have been justified by Christ, these are our marching orders. How are we to live? Scripture is eminently applicable and practical today for the head, for the heart, and the hands. And as our minds in Romans 12, 1 and 2 are renewed by Christ, we offer ourselves to the living sacrifice. This is the way in which we do so. He tells us this. He gives us the example. So to this end, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Page 1129, right-hand column, right at the top. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do so, to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They, all to, all, all, ah, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected... I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in fullness of the blessings of Christ. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that God, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. From the ever-reliable news source, the Babylon Bee. It's from 2017. The title is one of my favorites. Frustrated churchgoer to stop tipping unless service improves. Dayton, Ohio. Explaining his disappointment with the overall experience lately, local man Brett Thomas confirmed to reporters Thursday his plans to stop tipping unless the service at Calvary Baptist Church of Dayton improves significantly. I remember a few years ago, the service was way better, Thomas noted. I could tell the greeters were excited to see me walk in the door. Sometimes there were little donuts or danishes, just sitting right out there for the taking. They went out of their way to make me feel special, and I tipped accordingly. 
But much to his dismay, Thomas noticed some changes recently. I don't know if it's the new owners or what, but the experience just doesn't have the same energy, the same vibe it used to. The worship team seems to fall flat a lot more often. The pastor's been teaching from the Old Testament. The ushers don't seem as sincere. The programs aren't as nice as they used to be. The pencils aren't quite as sharp. It's the little things, you know, that make all the difference. Brent Thomas believes that if a church wants to be compensated, they need to earn it. Do they really expect a good tip with service like that? I might just throw in a 5 or maybe a 10 in the plate, but don't even talk to me about percentages until we start getting some decent service here, Thomas lamented, shaking his head. And the pastor has the gall to do a sermon on tithing last month. You want to talk about net and gross? I'll tell you what's gross. The coffee you serve at church is gross. A visibly frustrated Thomas added, I hope it doesn't come to this, but I'll tell you, on more than one occasion, the wife and I have discussed taking our business elsewhere. Now, what is his problem? I think we all get that. And how, what is the solution to that? Is that not in some ways, though never, never stated that ostentatiously, is that not to a certain degree an easy mentality to fall into when it relates to the church? Certainly we see in Paul's letter here, we have Paul who is certainly the representative. He was the missionary. He was the church planner. And this, in one degree, this message or these verses here, in one sense you could say they are about Paul and telling us of his plans and his goals. He's an old man now. I mean, he is, he is, I, I think we'd almost say he's tipped the scales of being elderly in that culture. He's not quitting. He's going. He's going to new lands of Spain. So it is about his plans. This is a report. But lest we say, well, this is just for the missionaries, there is a simultaneous theme, a reality that run through this report. It is simultaneously about the blessings the churches receive from him and from others and towards others. It is about the participation in the work of the gospel that is not for some special Christians or the clergy class, but is all and through for all the people of God. And the participation of every saint for the expansion of the worship of God to the nations that they may be obey, obey Christ. Now, I titled this message to strive for full blessings. And I want to use the word blessing, and I use that deliberately. For it appears three times, verses 27 and 29, the word. But the idea of blessing, and in fact, the ideas of blessings are going to permeate everything. Including not only this chapter, but the next chapters. Webster's 1828 dictionary um, defines the word blessing as this. Blessing is to pronounce a wish of happiness to one. To express a wish or desire for happiness. So I bless you. I want you to be happy. It also means this, to make happy or to make successful. To prosper in temporal concerns as we are blessed with peace and plenty. Blessings also can mean to set apart or consecrate to holy purposes, to make and pronounce holy. Or to consecrate by prayer to invoke a blessing upon. So to this end, my friends, do you want the full blessings of God? How do you get those? 
Do you strive for those? Do you strive to keep those in Christ? Do you strive that those would increase for you? Three headings here, followed by a conclusion. And all of this is how we all participate in the blessings of Christ in church ministry. Friends, for to be a Reformed church, to have Reformed theology, is to be the church, to be Reformed in all of our thinking, including how we think about blessings. So, number one, first heading, strive for the blessings through giving to the work of the ministry, through giving to the church. Now, I want to summarize in verses 22 again through 29, it is certainly about Paul's plans, but it is also simultaneously about how how Paul is able to go about those plans. He is there to preach the gospel, certainly, but he is also there to contribute to the needs of the poor in the church. He is there to, the churches are called to help one another. Andrew Sandlin writes this, The health and wealth gospel is heresy, but so is the sick and poverty gospel. Let me say that again. The health and wealth, just saying you can name it and claim it. Just name, you know, name my health. My per, you know, just name and claim perfect health. We certainly know that. That's, that's heresy. But so is the sick and poverty gospel. In many cases, perhaps most, God heals and supplies for his children who cry out to him in simple faith. God is a heavenly father, not a sadist. Now, why do I say that? I say that because when Paul here talks about the giving of the church and the blessings they're going to receive, it's not merely giving, it's other blessings we're going to see further on. He doesn't say this with the type of insecurity we might have today, right? Well, I don't want to talk about money too much because people might get the wrong idea. Paul has no qualifications about that. He even says here, look, it was their, it was a joy for them to give. We see that in other passages. Why they owe it to them, but it was also a joy to do. It's just what you do as a Christian. Praise God for this. Christianity, and here's what I want to say in this. Christianity is true capitalism. It is the true free market. What I mean by this in economic terms is this. The woke gospel today, the Marxist gospel, the prosperity gospel, of whom we we should hate all of those things. They're all antithetical to the faith. Why though? Why? What do they create? What do they do that's wrong? In one sense, the woke gospel, the Marcus gospel, the prosperity gospel, whether it is, you know, about, about, uh, about social justice issues and skin color, what is about economics or classes of people, or whether it's about just demanding these blessings from God outside of work. All of these gospels are, they're not gospels that tell the good news of what Christ has done for us, but they are all about transactional. They are a quid pro quo, take and give. They are all a horizontal way of earning favor or demanding favor or just a materialistic way of looking at life, pure materialism. It is, they're all about grabbing. The Marxist gospel, the woke gospel, the prosperity gospel are about the most selfish ways a person can live. But then you virtue it by, by adding out of context scripture, right? And religious ideas on that. Why do I talk about this today? Because it is often presumed to be under a zero-sum operating system. What I mean by this is that this. It's the idea of this, that if someone gives proportionately, somebody else is always taking, right? Marxism is a zero-sum game. It says this. If somebody is being blessed financially, it means somebody else must be a victim of that blessing. There's only so much blessing in the world. It means if there are people getting wealthy, it must be at the cost of other people being enslaved. It's all about a class system, right? It means this. There's only a certain amount of capital in the world, 
And the whole world is about give and take or steal and be stolen from or reparations or you owe it to people, right? Nobody can be truly happy unless everybody is equal in one sense. So we got to have revolutions for that, right? It is Now, it's crucial to understand what we call a zero-sum operating system because it means this. There is a fixed number of blessing molecules. It means this. If somebody else is blessed, somebody else must be being cursed. It's, it, it's in one sense, when we take that idea into Christianity, it's like this. There's, there, it's like a cosmic tennis match. God may bless this person, but he's clearly bringing his hammer of discipline on somebody else. Right? And if our church is being blessed, it means some other church must be being cursed somewhere. Now, nobody thinks that way, but sometimes I think we do, don't we? We think cynically. God can't really bless people. It isn't really a blessing to give. No Christian would really think that way. It's not a blessing to ask for money. I mean, that, that's taking from people, right? That's a sense of a curse. Why? Because we've often, as Christians, bought the idea that money is a bad idea or it's lesser spiritual. I'm not talking merely in the Marxist term. Certainly it is that. But it, even in the, in the world of, uh, that I, I think the, 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 the Christian, in one sense, it's a different version but it has kind of the same ring to it. And that what I would call it the radical movement. We, we think of David Platt or even John Piper and some of the things they've written where there is this almost idea that somehow suffering in and of itself, suffering by radical living is the mark of true spirituality. Now we are going to suffer, but the Bible also says we're going to be blessed. Now how do you balance those two? I don't know. It's obedience. It's the Lord's providence. But also God's providence works in our means. You should desire to... We can desire to better our lives. We can desire to get better for our grandchildren. We should desire to work hard, right? There's nothing wrong. Not only is there nothing unspiritual about hard work, it's, it's the way God has created us to be, right? We don't just grab Christianity and then not obey God. When we are justified, we will be sanctified. We have a new upward and outward and onward look at life. We're not looking downward and inward to just stare at our own hearts and make sure that we're just... Not sinning or, or happy enough. No, we are to examine our lives for sin, but we're to do that under the resurrected power of Christ, which says, I am restoring the cosmos. Join me in this. Be happy in this. Radicalism is the idea in Christianity that somehow the things of earth are less spiritual or they're less important spiritually. Now, that's nothing new. The Roman Catholic Church during the, the, the Reformation period had that, probably still have that view. But it's the idea that, you know, life in one and of itself, it's, it's really meaningless unless you're having private devotions or unless you're in a church service. Now, private devotions and church service are crucial. But they're crucial in the sense of God actually frees us to enjoy and work hard in the other areas of life under the banner of Christ. That's the great news of the gospel. So my question would be this, whether it is the Marxist gospel or kind of this radical movement, what message, if you believe that, what message does it say about God? Functionally, it says that our God is limited. That I can't pray for blessings because really that's a little less spiritual. That I can't pray that my finances would increase because that must be less spiritual. That God is limited. That somehow's resources are limited. You know what? Boy, I just can't enjoy this too much because, boy, he might zap me with, you know, 
with discipline, or he might like take it all away like he did for Job. Now certainly, providentially, in God's mysterious purposes, he does cause us to go through hardship. And you will go through hardship sometime in life. We know this. But the normal way of life is to say, I'm going to work hard and expect the Lord to bless my efforts. That's the creation mandate. Christ didn't remove that. He just gives us a new freedom to follow it. We could do this with, with joy, even though work is a toil. Because we know, you know what? Our work, as it says in Ecclesiastes, is acceptable in the Lord. Work hard unto the Lord. So if you're a mother at home, work hard unto the Lord. It's not less spiritual changing diapers, right? It's not exciting in the way the world defines excitement. But it is normal and good to raise children in the Lord. That is your vocation. Taking care of the earth, you know, taking care of your home and taking dominion and loving your neighbors. All these things are reasserted in Christ. They're fulfilled in Christ. We have a hope in Christ. God is the inventor of life and he writes the playbook for economics. And the same rules apply to the church and Christianity. Our God is not a God whose resources are in, are limited. He is a God who multiplies with compound interest. The blessed God. You see why I say that? Because look at verses 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full blessings of Christ. Think about what that means. Is that merely the fall says, you know, before I come to you, I'm going to spend two days in fasting, so I'm just ready and as happy as I possibly can be. Or does he say that because he knows not only do I know the gospel, but I will have come with contributions from others. I will have served others. I will have received answers to your prayer. I will have the fellowship of the saints. And all these are the means of God's blessings to us today. Spiritual blessings are certainly from the gospel. It begins in the mind, with a renewed mind, inward and out, where you cannot create spiritual blessings. It has to come from God through the gospel. But to those who have been blessed in the freedom that Christ has pronounced that you are forgiven, because you believe and trust that manna alone will not save you, the material things will not save you, they will only condemn you outside of Christ. When you have come and realized this, and you've obeyed God, you have believed God that you are a lawbreaker, and you've come to believe that only the law giver, only the one who has truly fulfilled the law of God, only the one who has truly faced your judgment, faced the judgment of God, and yet gives you the righteousness of his faith, when you've come to the end of yourself and you believe that gospel, that gospel frees a person. With a renewed mind, not merely to pursue some aesthetic life that hopefully will be pleasing to God, but it is a life pleasing to God as we operate in God's world and his system. We're no longer living as Marxists or a give-and-take kind of society. We are living for the blessings of God, seeking to bless others. And what we have here, this, what Paul is saying here underneath all things, and we're going to see it again in the next couple weeks, underneath all things, there are not two classes of Christians. There are no lethargic or autonomous Christians. You are both a receiver and a giver in the church of God. Both at the same time. I mean, the question would be this, right? When you come to worship Sunday morning, do you come to give to others or do you come to receive from God? Well, the answer is yes, you do. Yes and yes. Right? God is the great blesser. He is the one who offers himself to us and continues by his spirit to bless us as we come to him. Hearing his word, having our minds renewed, but we also come to give. We come to serve others. 
We come to part. This is what it means to participate. It's, it's both and. You don't separate one from the other. All is under the lordship of Christ. And there is a great reciprocity in blessings. Here we see there is not only a relational blessing in Christ, but there is a material blessing that we give to one another. All this is under the heading of Romans 12 and 2. We are now a living sacrifice being offered to God. So as a Christian, we know that there are several polarities that come together at once. We are poor and yet we are rich. We are persecuted and yet we get favor from men. We are maligned and yet the Bible says we are respected. We get both. Sometimes we're hated, sometimes we're respected, sometimes both at the same time. Right? What, what is it saying? Saying these, it says, you know, we are an aroma. Some, a smelly aroma of death, and others an aroma of life. Meaning this, people come into the church, they see the people of God, and some people go, ugh, I don't want that. Why? Because they're offended by God. They're promised with God, and then others say, this is glorious. I love the worship of God. Why? Because God is drawing them to himself. You know this, don't you? The way you live your life as a Christian and it matters, you've recognized, man, there are some people that sometimes for some of you, particularly relatives and, and, and people that should be close to you, that when you've said no to certain things, certainly during COVID and other, other times, some people malign you. You, you didn't realize, wow, I didn't, I thought we had a better relationship than this. And then there's other people that you develop new relationships with, a new friend, and they, the very conviction that was some people, they, 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 they maligned you or hated you or canceled you. Other people are like, wow, thank you. You're not, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone here anymore. This is, this is the word. Both things are true at once. And under providence, we know that we may have our property and health taken away by God for his purposes. But we also, under providence, we operate under the creation mandate and expect increases we follow God. We do things that God says. And in a culture like this today, Christians are not going to be stealing and thieving and robbing and lying. And in a general way, we should expect, when we live under God's order, that things will increase. Life will get better. Even though we live in a fallen world. I mean, that, that's the blessings. And in this text, notice in this text, as Paul's talking about these blessings, he is not, as I've already said, he's not insecure, talking about wealth and money. Paul doesn't, explain away giving or wealth. He doesn't nuance it with, you know, 25 different, hey, just so you know, I don't, I don't want you to idolize money and, you know, this is my one time a year I'm going to give a sermon on this. No, it's just in the text. He just said, this is normal for Christians. Here's what he says. Some churches are in prosperous areas. Uh, you see this in verses 26. The churches that seem like in the north and Macedonia and Achaia, they were prosperous. They had some, maybe everybody in the church was just more prosperous or they had some wealthy people, but generally speaking, they had more than they needed. And yet some churches are not. The church in Jerusalem was very poor. It says the, the poor saints. So it was the very churchgoers, the church members who were struggling. I think we can understand that. They were in a greatly persecuted and maligned area. Jerusalem at that time economically was not doing well. The land wasn't. And of course, the church wasn't either. Some are well-established and some need more resources. But Paul doesn't say one of them has been more faithful than the other. He just says, this is how you give to one another. If the Lord, it's part of the generosity. And yet, 
the church in Jerusalem, the way in which they gave is they received the apostles. They provided for them. They protected them so they could share the gospel. But notice what Paul says here, from where did the missionaries come? The Jews, Jerusalem, he says, in God's providence, he had used the willful hardening of the Jewish people to send out his church to the nations. Now the remnant in Jerusalem in need. And notice here, it says in this text, he says, you owe it to them. What does he mean by that? Well, they may not know that the church in Jerusalem, but he says, look, do you, do you know what he's implying here? Is if, if they hadn't rejected God and hadn't persecuted the missionaries, the missionaries, the dysphoria, they never would have maybe been sent out of their own power. And so they, as a result of their hardening of their hearts and God hardening to them, you as Gentiles have now received the gospel. That's kind of how it worked. Do you understand that? That indirectly it's because of their sin and their hardness and the hardness of their people that you had a chance to receive the gospel? And so because of that, aren't you thankful? You kind of owe it to them. I mean, it's an, it's an implicit compliment. And it's a strange sort of way. Right? Do you understand how providence works? God even used sinful, wicked actions of others to close the door there. Now he's opening it to you and yet there's still saints in Jerusalem. Do you owe it to those people? You owe it to the, the Jews? So the, the interesting point here is, are, 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 are the churches, are we obligated to give? Or do we willingly give? And again, the answer is yes and yes. You both and. We're obligated to give to one another, to the church. But we also willingly give to one another because we recognize there's a bigger picture at play. God and his sovereign blessing, it is a blessing to give. And it's a blessing to know that God's work is being done. And like he says here, do you understand the blessing? You've received a blessing that no amount of manna, no amount of wealth could ever create for you. In fact, often your, 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 your self-sufficiency, your wealth kept you away from the gospel. And yet God has shown you the depth of your sin. And that it is only through the riches of Christ through this simple Jewish carpenter, the sacrificial death, him, the second Adam, who represented all of humanity, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, all alike in their cursed, sinful nature and their cursed, sinful law-breaking. Christ has paid the price for his people and he has won a new people for himself, both Jew and Gentile. It is one church of God. Those that know the gospel. And so those that know the gospel, the heart has changed. The mind has changed. All things are owned by God. And so though we have property and we own property, it's a blessing to say it's all of the Lord. Without the Lord, yeah, we maybe, maybe we'd be wealthy, maybe we'd be poor, but we wouldn't know a freedom in Christ. Wouldn't know the renewal of the mind. Riches do not equal fellowship, but neither will poverty create fellowship. Generosity and the sharing of resources will help hold churches together. It acts like a glue. Nothing will break through the bonds of ethnic tension between Jew and Gentile like generous love, even the blessings of financial giving and fellowship with one another. Paul has no insecurity about saying that. Not insecure like we might be in our culture today. And, well, you know, I don't want to say too much about ethnic tensions. No, you know. <laughs> Just be generous, right? Love each other. Be fellowship. Get over yourselves. And this is how you get over yourselves. Be blessing. Be in fellowship. Pray for one another. And that leads us to our second point. The first is this. Strive for blessings through giving to the church. Reminder, we give. We share of our resources. The second is this. 
Strive for the blessings through prayer for one another. These last two points are much shorter. Look at this, verse 30 through 31. I appeal to you, brothers. Now notice this. Paul is an old man. He has never met the Roman church. I mean, he may know some individuals in the church, but he's never been there before. Some of these are brand new Christians. Paul is, he would never call himself a super saint, but that's how we think of him, right? He clearly is a man who has earned his, earned the credibility to speak the truth, right? Everybody knows this. Yeah, I want you to notice this. He doesn't say, well, I got my little prayer group and I'm going to share a bunch of unmentioned prayer requests and just pray for them. He's, he's asking for the very people that he's trying to serve. He's asking them for prayer for himself. What's the point here? The point is strive for blessings through honest prayer requests of one another. Paul did. We should. This is what the church is all about, right? That is one thing we can do together and should do together. Look at this, 31, 30, 31. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Again, there's a Trinitarian formula there, right? Lord Jesus Christ, love of the Holy Spirit under God, under the power of the triune Godhead. Strive together with me in your prayers for God on my behalf. So with the triune God, we, we pray together knowing to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this, this, this God who is totally other and yet makes himself known in Christ through our hearts and the Spirit, through our renewed minds. We now strive with him. We strive towards him. We pray. We can offer up prayers to God knowing that they're acceptable to God. Here's what he prays for. Pray that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Notice that Paul asks this church for prayer, as I've already said. He's not afraid of being vulnerable appropriately to those weak saints in Rome. He asks for prayer for them. Notice that he also asks for very specific prayers, not just some general prayer, prayer that God would be with me. Got to be kind to me. No, he's very specifically for requests here. He asks for deliverance from a very specific threat from unbelievers in Judea. He knows that he's going there, his life will be threatened. He is not a masochist. He's not saying, well, well, great, I get to die there and I get to go as a martyr. He's willing to be a martyr. But he says, no, I don't want to die. I want to be delivered. Why? He wants the blessings that the church would accept him. That he would share the gospel that his work would be accepted, that it would not go in vain. He knows only the power of the Spirit can do that. Only God can do that. He knows he's going in to a death trap. He knows this. And yet he's asking for deliverance from this. He's an old man. Certainly has earned his stripes, so to speak. And yet he's saying, hey, pray the Lord to deliver me. I I don't want, if I die, I die. But I want to be delivered here. Pray that the Lord would do this. Pray for the blessing. Pray that I would be acceptable to them. He's not cynical in his prayer requests. See, the world we live in today, if you're not woke, right? Hope you're not. I mean, reject all that stuff. Reject this new social justice gospel. Reject Marxism. Talked about that ad nauseum here. We will continue to because it's a dominant false religion today. Reject statism. But yet those dominant false religions, I think sometimes affect us not so much in that we, we, we get that they're wrong. We get why they're wrong. But they create, I think, in us sometimes a cynicism, a, a, a pessimism, 
You know, we, we've seen our world become more hostile. I know myself, I'm just saying honestly now, you know, I've seen, uh, it seems like less people coming to Christ. I've seen our church grow, praise God, God has drawn our church, but there are people I've prayed for for many years and shared the gospel. I, 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 you think of the last three years, they get softened, and yet I've seen some get hardened, right? And in that way, it's, it's, it's easy, I think, under the culture we live in, because the, the whole woke gospel is cynical, right? It's pessimistic. It revels in, in covetousness and jealousy and conflict. It creates that. And it's very easy in our world today to presume that's just God's plan. And God doesn't maybe answer prayers. So we don't pray them specifically or we don't keep praying them or we kind of pray with this whole idea of, well, I suppose I should pray it, but I don't really believe it. Again, it's not the power of our belief that causes things to happen, but we are to pray in belief and, and the power of, of hope. And Paul here, he doesn't, he isn't pessimistic. He doesn't just think it's going to get worse for him. He knows it could, but he's praying for deliverance. He has plans he wants to make and he wants the Lord to answer those prayers. Now, if you were going to take a poll and you were going to go, okay, where's the most dangerous place for Paul to go? Where should he not go? Send a young guy in there that nobody knows. Let him share the gospel. Everybody knows who Paul is. He's got a, he's got a, he's marked for death. Where should he not go? Jerusalem. And he's going to go there and then he's praying for deliverance. So friends, when we pray, we should pray optimistically. We should believe God answers prayers and we should pray very specifically and we should share those requests with one another. Roger Wagner summarizes it well this way. He says this, For too long, many Christians, even in the Reformed tradition, have been so mortified, though rightly, with the heresy of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel that they have faithlessly navigated away from bold, multitudinous, striking biblical promises that God actually answers prayer. Many prayers, big prayers, all the time should be prayed. God's eternal decrees are never in conflict with his commands to his people to pray. You don't always have to pray, God, if it's your will, do this. No, just pray that God would do it. If it's in scripture. God's purposes will never be overthrown by his people's prayers. Indeed, his purposes are fulfilled partly by those prayers whose answers demonstrate his overwhelming glory in the earth. His inexpressible power and his love for his covenant people. So pray big, expect big. That's a good quote. Paul did that. Paul expected that. So should we. So my question for you today, an application, are your prayers specific such as this? Let's say you have a difficult child right now. Are you asking people, are you asking God to give you wisdom? Are you praying that your child would change, that God would give them repentance? You can pray that, you know. We should. Are you also praying? Asking others for prayer? Because when you have a difficult child, you tend to live in fear to get angry really easily and you don't like how you feel. Or you tend to get really passive. Are you asking people for prayer that you'd be diligent to face momentary trials with difficult kids or family members? And you pray for victory. Knowing God's promises. Do you pray that way? Do you pray, believe God is going to fulfill them? But we can pray many specific type of prayers in that, right? What about in your job? Some of you, you know, we talked about this again as a church. You know, I, 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 I'm not going to ask for a raise a hand, but privately raise your hand if your salary has increased at the rate of inflation. Well, no hands have gone up, right? We recognize that it's just, 
Interest rates are high. We under, understand that, that is a, it's our status destructive government doing its work right now. Houses are high. Uh, regulations are through the roof. It's harder to make ends meet on a single salary. It's harder to provide for family. Some, some here, we've, we've had to work two jobs or find extra streams of income. Do you pray that God would bless that? To pray that the Lord would provide for you and your family. There's a lot of, and do you also pray that you would not be driven merely by money, but, but, but by the word of the Lord? Do you pray that the Lord would protect your heart in this? Do you, do you pray that God would protect you and, and that would bless you, even though you keep committed to the church, keep committed to the Lord's day of rest? There's a lot of prayers we could pray. And many, many, many others as well. Can you pray for health? You certainly can. Pray that God would deliver you miraculously if you choose to, but also pray that you would, he would give you good doctors and that you'd be humble to ask for help and you'd um, listen to good advice. Friends, it is a privilege to pray and it is an honor to be entrusted with these sacred re- requests. We as a church should be praying big, pr- bold prayers and we should be asking others to pray for us and with us these big, bold prayers. Paul did, we can it is a blessing which is reciprocal. Do you understand what a privilege it is to be entrusted with prayer requests of others? I mean, this is the Roman church. I can just imagine they're reading this like, wait, he's asking us for prayer? After he's telling us he needs our prayer? What a privilege. What a blessing. Third category. So strive through blessing through prayer and prayer requests. Third, strive for blessings through fellowship with one another. Look at verse 32. This prayer is that God's will may be that I will come to you and be refreshed in your company. Friends, the church is the dearest place on earth. When the church gathers, it should be refreshing. Even when we have to have hard conversations, and they must happen, there is something awe-inspiring to hear the truth and see one another face to face. So how about us? When we fellowship, say we go downstairs after this for snacks and Sunday school, what, what do we talk about? Well, we certainly should... We can talk about our jobs and our family life and plans that we're making. We can share funny stories that have happened and facts about our life. But I think here's a, a pattern for what we should also talk about. How about we give spiritual reports, including every area of your life. Maybe today you could ask somebody, share with me spiritually how you're doing. Give me a report. How, how, are, how, how, are, how, how has God been answering your prayers? What evidences of grace have you seen? What struggles are you having that we can pray for? We should also recount God's blessings. Paul did. Here's where I've seen God answer prayer. Here's where God has blessed us. Here's what I'm thankful for, right? The Bible says be thankful in all circumstances. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. That's a good, it's good theology in that song, right? And we should share prayer requests and answers to prayer. So three things should that we see here in this text that should... In, be involved in our fellowship. Things that only a church can do together. You can talk about sports and weather and Vikings with, with anybody in the world, right? Can you talk about that as a church? Sure. But there are things that are unique that only you can talk about in the church. Especially the people of God who a fellow member of your own church, not just a, a general Christian in the culture, which we're thankful for other churches. But we should be able to give spiritual reports to each other. We should recount God's blessings. And we should give prayer requests and answers to prayer. Only give and receive. So let that be what our fellowship is about amongst all the other things.
That is spiritual fellowship. And then finally, he says this. So there is a blessing through fellowship. Finally, in conclusion, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, it's interesting here because you would think at this point, the letter's over. Except we now have chapter 16 coming up. So what is Paul doing here? The letter's not over, but under this section, Paul must feel inclined to repeat one of his most repeated phrases as a benediction, as the ultimate and pre-ultimate cosmic blessing, peace with God. To understand that above and through and infiltrating all these blessings that we have, that we participate in, is the fact, the cold, hard fact, and yet the glorious reality that we have peace with God. Douglas Moose says this, like the Hebrew word shalom, this embraces the panoply of blessings God makes available to his people through the age of fulfillment. My favorite movies, The Last Samurai, ended with this line. And as for the American captain, no one knows what became of him. Some say that he died of his wounds, others that he returned to his own country. But I like to think that he may at last have found some measure of peace that we all seek and so few of us ever find. Isn't that the the great stories, right? And they lived happily ever after? Isn't that the striving even if it's a nihilistic, woke striving for peace, finding peace, finding a well-ordered life, finding the fact that you can sleep at night and go, there's, there's, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt. I mean, not the world, the striving of the world is going one thing after another in order to find peace. And all the different religions, all they are is saying, here's the plan of peace that you can take to get there. And every single one of them, it is a mountain that you must climb. Yet the gospel declares you can have peace right now. You don't make your peace with God. God made his peace with you. And it happened because Christ came down from the mountain. And not just came down from the mountain, he went through a birth canal. And he became flesh. And he lived the life that you and I had failed and refused to live. And because the sin ran so deep... He was born of a, of a virgin, a new human, a perfect human in the flesh. He lived a perfect and sinless life, obeying God, facing every temptation that we had faced, yet without sin. And he died a perfect sacrificial death, facing God's wrath. So when we take Holy Communion in a few minutes, we take this. We take elements. They're, 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 they're signs. They're, it's real juice, and it's really a wafer. And they're physical signs, but they're physical signs that Jesus Christ really physically lived and died. And he has risen. He is alive today and he is amongst us. But we have peace with God and it's a pronounced peace because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago for us. You understand that, friends? It doesn't matter what your world is swirling around with. The apostle says, look, under all these requests, including the threat that my life might be killed, peace be to you. And this is a theme that he says again and again. Romans 16.20, he's going to say it again. 2 Corinthians 13.11, he says it. May the love of God and peace be with you. Philippians 4, 9. He says this. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Peace of God be with you. And now, and second Thessalonians 3, 16. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every time and every way. Shalom. Peace. The God of peace. The God who gives peace. The gospel is the good news that peace is here. 
The door was opened by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have been brought through by the new birth that is ours in Christ. This is God's eternal covenant of grace that he has made with his people. And he will not take his peace from you. If you are he who began a good work, will complete, be faithful to complete it at the end. And all things will work out for those who are called according to his purpose. Though he is predestined, he will, he is justified and he will surely glorify. This is the blessing from God that changes and permeates everything. It saturates and fills as we participate in the blessings of the church through giving, through sharing of fellowship and through praying through one another. We can do these things because the peace of God is yours. And friends, today, if you do not have that peace, ask yourself, am I a Christian? Do I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or am I striving for peace through all these material things that will never offer the peace? They will never give. Is there a weight of sin that is upon me? And do I not have peace because there is condemnation? Am I forgiven in Christ? And friends, today, if you, it doesn't mean that you always feel peaceful, but do you believe this word today? Do you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Believe the gospel. It is yours today. This is the peace of God. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Father, thank you for gathering together your church and your saints and how good it is to hear the good news of the gospel. And Father, how good it is to know that we all participate. Oh, Father, how can we, under this banner, hold on to bitterness or anger? How can we not examine ourselves and ask ourselves if we are striving merely to build our own kingdom. If we are, Father, giving up with cynicism that uh, in, the, in the culture we live in today, oh, Father, I thank you that you not only bless us in Christ with the eternal blessing that is ours, but you give us great hope even in this world today. Father, may we pray as Paul did. May we fellowship as the saints did. And may we give and may we seek the blessings even financially, that we may give and receive from others that they did then. I thank you for this eternal word that is immensely practical for us and help us all to obey. In your name we pray, amen.